Okay, um, so kind of a recap, right? First text I opened to during this time was Proverbs 7, right? And just showing you the idea that Solomon says, have Scripture be an intimate friend, right? Have it like a ring on your finger in order to keep you from, he said, the forbidden woman. And so I've been trying to give you guys some of my friends. Now, I've got to warn you, the friend I'm going to introduce you to tonight, you know, you've already met two of my friends, um, Ephesians 4.30 and uh, Luke 10. You've already met those friends, right? As Manny even mentioned earlier, I've tried to emphasize to you to make sure your joy is in Christ, not in success, not in the work of the ministry, but that it's in Christ. And then I've tried to emphasize to you the importance of having short accounts and now I'm going to introduce you to another friend from the Word of God. And you might not like him, but I'll tell you this. He is for your good. Okay? And, and look, we have that with friends in real life. Brothers and sisters in the church even. They might step on your toes. They might say things to you that ruffle the feathers, so to speak. But if they're doing that in love, they're doing that because they care about you. Same thing with the Word of God. The Word of God isn't as personal because it's not a physical person standing in front of us. But nonetheless, the Word of God, it speaks to our soul. Um, Let me see. I wrote a couple things here in cursive at the top that I can't read. Okay, turn to Psalm 141. Oh, are you okay? How, how is your secret prayer life? <clears throat> you know, we're talking earlier. There's a, there's a well-known missionary that some of us have heard preach. Uh, he's in his 60s. He served in China for 20 years. He got kicked out of China. Anytime you meet this brother... Like one of the first questions he will ask you about is how is your secret prayer life? Secret meaning not corporate, right? What I do when I come to the meeting and I pray out loud, that's great. But what does my secret prayer life look like? How, how do you guys learn to pray? How have you guys learned to pray? How did the disciples learn how to pray? Yeah, they asked. I mean, that's pretty simple. Isn't it interesting you can just ask people for help? Lord, teach me to pray. I mean, Christ isn't here. You can go to the Word of God. You can go to godly or Christians and you can ask them what's helped you in your prayer life. You can go read Ian Bounds, um, all of his volumes on prayer that are bound together. That'll help you to pray. It'll help you to, to seek the Lord. But what do you pray about in your secret prayer life? And maybe tonight you're going to see something that you don't pray about in your prayer life. And you're going to learn something from David which, who is David? Who is King David? Well, how does the Lord describe King David to us? Yeah, a man after the Lord's own heart. And that matters to us because you don't just want to go imitate anyone. Right? Even in the Bible, where you have narrative portions in the Old Testament, you might have stuff there that you don't want to imitate that. Just because it's there doesn't mean it's calling you to imitate those examples. For example, Samson. Um, so we're going to look tonight and get a glimpse at King David's prayer in Psalm 141. And as we look at this, you're going to see how he is praying and some of the things he is praying. And when you see what someone's praying, what's that revealed to you about them? If I could go and be in secret prayer with you, 
Say you're in the room next to me and I can just hear you through the wall. What you pray about is revealing what? Yeah, your heart. Right? So here we got it in God's Word. We've got the heart of a man who is after whose heart? God's own heart. So there's something here for us to learn tonight. So let's, let's read Psalm 141. <clears throat> a Psalm of David. O Lord, I call upon You. Hasten to me. Give ear to my voice when I call You. To You. Let my prayer be counted as incense before You. I mean, he wants wants his words to be like a rose, uh, the fragrance of a rose before the Lord. And lifting up of my hands as the evening sacrifice. Verse 3. Look at what David prays here. Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Why would David be praying about guarding his lips? Yeah, and what happens if you do say the wrong thing? What does it say in the book of James? What, what could my wrong words do? Look at the forest out there. You're saying a word I say could actually burn this whole forest down? Yeah, it's exactly what it says in James. So here you go. I mean, first thing we see in David's heart here is he wants the Lord to watch his speech. He wants the Lord to watch His speech and then watch His heart. Verse 4, Do not let my heart incline, incline, get pulled towards some evil? No. Any evil. To busy myself with wicked deeds in the company with men who work iniquity. So what's he worried about here? He's worried about who he's around. Who you have company with can radically affect you. You guys know the verse, 1 Corinthians 15.33, bad company corrupts good morals. In context, who's the bad company in 1 Corinthians 15? He's not talking about your friends at school. Who's he talking about? 1 Corinthians 15. Yeah, he's talking about people who have a misrepresentation of who Christ is. Basically, false teachers. False doctrine corrupts your ability to live a righteous life for the Lord. So David is concerned here about his mouth, his company. He says, let me not eat of their delicacies. That tells you how the sin can be presented, right? It's like a chocolate delicacy that looks really good, but it's, really, it's actually full of poison. Now here, here, my, here my friend is in verse 5. This is a really close friend of mine. Verse 5. Let a righteous man strike me. Why would, you, why would you pray that, David? He gives the answer. What's he say? It's a kindness. That's an interesting way. Who looked at getting striked as being a kindness? And then he explains he's not talking about a physical punch. He's not praying for the mighty men to come and punch him in the face. He, he, he interchanges... Strike with the next part of the verse. Let him rebuke me. Okay, why would you want him to rebuke me? What's he say? Oil for my head. And look, however we define oil. I mean, where was oil even used in King David's life? Yeah, his anointing. 
I mean, Samuel's coming up to you to anoint you with oil to be king. Right? Even in the New Testament, you think about oil, it really, what, what was Judas's perspective on oil that was used? It was worth a lot of money. It was riches. This is, this is something that costs a lot. Right? And then look what he says next. This is an incredible statement. David is praying this. Have you ever prayed this? Have you ever prayed, let him rebuke me? And then look what he says next. Let my head not refuse it. What's David recognizing? Yeah, he might reject it, but to use the words he's using, what is he ultimately rejecting? Well, God, but I mean specifically, what's about to be poured on the head? So he's, yeah, and the rebuke is like into oil. So you're actually rejecting what? Rich oil that's expensive. I mean, if you saw someone who's going to be anointed king or have some riches poured upon them, you'd be shocked to see them, hey, hey, I don't want that. I don't want that. Okay, let's finish reading the psalm. Yet my prayer is continually against their evil deeds, referring back to those in verse 4, these, these wicked workers of iniquity. And then he says, when their judges are thrown over the cliff, they shall hear my words for they are pleasant. And then he goes on. He talks about the wicked setting a trap for him. He talks about his eyes are towards the Lord. He talks about seeking refuge in the Lord. He talks about the Lord not leaving him defenseless. But let's think about verse 5. How many of you guys have, I know even I think Nick referred to this maybe two nights ago, but how many of you have really thought about verse 5 in Psalm 141? Has, it, has, anyone, has anyone had this verse be a good friend of yours? That it comes to your mind in a time of need? Just like you call a physical friend and you ask for help, has this verse ever come to your conscience? Some? Well, hopefully you'll never forget it, right? If you really want to be introduced to him, if you don't, you can leave right now, right? Okay. All right. So David here, amazingly, uh, he recognizes his present and future need for righteous people to rebuke, reprove him, that he might correct his blind spots. And this all reveals to us David is not what? He, had, he is not content with where he is at. He is not content with where he is at. Now, what is reproof? When you think about the word reproof, rebuke, let's maybe define that so we get a correct idea about it. Well, it involves counsel. Okay, and correction. Yeah, so think of a rebuke like this. You're exposing something that's there and you're bringing it into the light. And let's say it's like a broken, a broken bone and you're doing the x-ray and you're seeing the bone is broken. And then do you just leave the person there with the broken bone and you just say, figure out how to fix that yourself? No. True correction, true reproof doesn't just expose through the x-ray of the Word of God, you got a broken bone. It then seeks to set the bone right. Right? If the patient will stay still to let you set the bone right. You see, we need to think of that, guys. You, you don't, when someone says, I just got rebuked by someone, well, I trust it isn't just they corrected you, but they're trying to instruct you and show you the way um, that is in line with God's Word. So they're exposing to you something that's not according to the Scriptures, and they're trying to lead you in the way that is according to the Word of God. So instruction and correction, it literally means the straightening up again 
and the restoration of something to its original and proper condition. And think of that. Just, just that right there. Isn't that kind? You know, at the fellowship conference years ago, they were playing ultimate frisbee. David Luciano got hit by a guy and his knee got dislocated. He's laying on the ground. The doctor who was there, Sean Hopper, he came up and he put his knee back in his socket. That, that was a kind thing. Did it hurt? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> he didn't have medicine either as Sean was popping that back in. I mean, if Sean the doctor just stands there with his knee dislocated and has, offers no help, is that loving? No, it's not. And we know this, right? The Proverbs say about parenting, if you spare the rod, what, what do you ultimately do? What, what's your perspective on your children? You hate them. You hate the kids. You don't really love them. A refusal to discipline them reveals an actual hatred of them. Ironically, the world says if you refuse to discipline them, that actually shows that you love them. That's not the case, right? So, if you want to have... Think of this. What did we see in the first message? What did Christ do to the 72? He rebuked them, right? What did Paul do in Ephesians 4 to the church at Ephesians? Ephesus. When he's telling them, do not let the sun go down on your anger, and he's come to all these things, I think part of that, there's a correction. You're writing something to a church because you're seeing this is an area of weakness, right? What do you see Christ doing to the churches in Revelation? Yes. There's affirmation. There's rebuke. I mean, this is all over the Bible. This is all over the Bible. You know what that means? It's going to be all over your life. I mean, your life is going to be continually in this direction. And before I forget this thought, because I don't even think it's in my notes, but one of the times that led to the greatest growth spiritually in my life was after I was rebuked by someone. And I got, when I got saved, I was such a hyper-critical, young, zealous Christian, just making all of these judgments all the time. And I remember going over to Tim Conway's house, and I was just wanting to relax, and we were talking about different things in the church. And Tim brought up a young guy in the church, and I proceeded to just tear into this young guy. He wasn't there, but I was just talking so down about him. You know what Tim did? He's quiet, he's quiet for a second. He's processing... Man, James has got a broken leg. <laughs> you know, how do we set this right? And you know what surgery he decided upon? <laughs> well, the, how, what type of rebuke? And you know what he said? He looked at me and he said, James, I would not want to be you on judgment day. Because the measure you're judging for us, Jesus said, is going to be judged right back at you. <laughs> and you, what was my reaction? Yeah, it hurt. And here I'm in the process here. Do I receive this or not? Now, I didn't have this friend yet. I met him, Psalm 141.5, I think months later. So if I would have had this friend, oh, it could have been better. It could have turned out better. You know, I kind of heard him out. But honestly, I remember sitting in my car, and I was full of resentment, full of bitterness. And I was thinking, you know what? I wasn't married to Bethany at the time. I was single. I'd just been converted two years. I thought, you know, I'm going to move to Missouri you know, all the churches up there, they're a lot more gracious than this Tim Conway guy. He's so hard. And then it hit me. There in my car, it hit me how much love Tim had to say what he said to me and how much risk was involved in what he said to me. And I just, I just started to weep. 
And you know what that did in my relationship with them? It says in the Proverbs that uh, the, the reprover becomes to you like what? A ring on the finger. Right? You maybe can't see it, but on this finger here, there's kind of this invisible ring, and I'm reminded of that rebuke. Because that so impacted my life. In an area that I was so blind to was corrected in the exact way it needed to be corrected. So, you know, you could say, I want to have a clear conscience. Yeah, you know what's part of having a clear conscience? People are going to be correcting you and pointing things out to you. I mean, husbands, wives. I mean, when your spouse reproves you, do you hear them out? Do you right away minimize it away? Do you have a listening ear? Or do you have an inability to hear them because you just assume that you're right? What, what is, what, what's, again, what's the big issue with not receiving rebuke? It really comes down to pride. What was the issue in the Luke 10 sermon? In one way, it comes down to what? Pride. Right? You're, you're, you're so focused on the fact you cast out demons and you're not rejoicing in Christ and what He has done. What was the issue in Ephesians 4.30? If you go to bed and you have unresolved issues of anger in your heart, what's causing you to not resolve that? Pride. I mean, in, in some ways you could say what sin is not even rooted in Pride. So here I've got, I think, eight observations here. Let's, let's think through these. First, we see that by acknowledging his need for rebuke, he is accepting that he has blind spots and he doesn't see everything correctly. Right? David would not pray for the righteous to rebuke him other than the fact that he recognizes he requires that in his life, right? You never want to become an island to yourself where people can't correct you, they can't speak to you. David recognizes, I need this. I mean, what does Jesus say in Matthew 7, verse 3? You, you can notice what in your brother's eye. Yeah, but you don't recognize what in your own eye. A law. Kind of goes back to the thing of people being naive Christians from Romans 16. What, if I, what specks do I have in my eyes? I mean, you guys ever gone to the optometrist before? And they really put that exam on you? you should, we should be getting optometrist appointments in the spiritual realm too. Right? To see, is there, any, is there a speck in my eye? Something that I don't recognize. Listen to this verse. Ecclesiastes 4.13 Better was a poor and a wise youth than an old and a foolish king who no longer knew how to take advice. And you know what you're going to find in the Old Testament? What do you find again and again? Foolish old kings who refuse to take advice. It's rather terrifying. Um, then the second observation, we kind of already looked at this, but what personal concerns might David have had in his own life? I mentioned guarding his mouth, not letting his company be with men who work work sin. Um, and think about David's speech. Where is a time in David's life where he spoke something that was sinful and he got rebuked and it kept him from sinning? Here, go get the black wa water thing for me. I need some water. Come on, Bible quiz. It's late. I'm not asking for a reference. <laughs> or, well, when did David with his mouth say something sinful 
was going to do something sinful, someone rebuked him. Yeah, Abigail. So Nabal, right? So Nabal did something and David has all this anger and he's going to go get blood guilt by killing all of these individuals. Right? It's not going to be right. And you know what Abigail does? Abigail comes to him. She presents her case. She reproves David. She shows him why this is wrong and all of that. What's David's response to her? She, she, he says th- he praises the Lord for being kept back from blood guilt. You see, the reproof of that woman right there kept him back from blood guilt. This is all we have. Hey, I, I guess that will do. <laughs> Hawaiian punch or something. And then in the end, Nabal dies and he marries her. He realized, hey, that's a good wife. You know, one thing even to, to think about, if you got two young people that want to get married, one question to ask them is, have you ever corrected the other person? And if so, how did they respond? You really see a person's character when you confront them. You see what's there in their heart. And so, do you guys accept you have blind spots that you don't see? But if you really accept that, that means you don't see it. It's not the thing in your mind that you think, oh, maybe he, you know, he's talking about that. No, you don't even recognize it. It's something you don't even recognize. The third thing. David recognizes righteous people correcting him is a means to be kept from sin. Right? It, as he mentioned, he doesn't want to eat of their delicacies of sin. And so a righteous person's reproof can actually prevent him from eating of that thing that looks really tasty over there, and it's not. Do you know what this prayer speaks about too? It speaks about the need for others to be involved in your life. I mean, you need the body. You need others involved in your life to point things out to you that you don't recognize. You, you can't be an island under yourself. I mean, we should seek counsel from others about the decisions we make. Um, you know, someone even shared with me tonight about something, and they made a decision, they kept, they heard the counsel, they rejected the counsel, and then they went and made the decision without even going to the people who told them it wasn't a wise thing to do. And they realized in the end that was really a dumb idea what they did. A fourth thing here David prays for the righteous to strike. Not, who is he praying? Let a righteous man rebuke me as opposed to who? Yeah, wicked. Because what's the righteous man? It's, It's not just righteous in character, right? That he is living out or she is living out the standard of God. But it's actually in the contents of what they're going to say. So in a way, he's praying, Lord, send someone whose standard is the Bible who's not a hypocrite, and let them come and correct me according to the Word of God. Okay, a fifth thing. Fifth thing here. You're praying for something that hurts. Right? Look at that. Let a righteous man strike. Why would he say strike? It's kind of like Acts 24.16. I always take pains... To have a clear conscience. Why would he say it pains? Because it's painful to clear your conscience. It's pain. You, when Tim Conway rebuked me, I mean, it felt like he took me and slammed me on the ground and was punching me in the face. You know, in the in the spiritual realm. Um, 
You know, it's, it's kind of like spanking a child. It's not pleasant. Hebrews 12, right? All discipline is not pleasant. It's not a pleasant experience to be corrected. Um, yet David is praying to be struck. Is David praying to be tapped on the shoulder? No, let a righteous man strike me. You know what I think he might mean by that? I think David is kind of saying, don't be vague about it, just make it clear. Right? He's like, say it in a way where I really understand what you're saying. Don't just try to beat around the bush where I'm kind of left like, what were they trying to tell me? What part of my body is broken? But say it in a way where it's, it's clear. Okay, sixth thing. How does David view the rebuke? It's a kindness. It is oil for my head. It's a kindness. It is oil for my head. And in the, the CSB, it's rendered this way. It is an act of faithful love. Anytime someone comes to correct you, one of the first things you want to be thinking when you start to realize they're about to say something to you, don't view what they're doing as attacking you. View it as an act of kindness. Well, you, you, well, yeah, it's easy to, you know, after we had the baby and the meal list goes out and they stop at the door and they bring us a meal because, you know, we just had the child. That's an act of kindness. No, no. David is saying the righteous rebuking you is an act of kindness. Both are acts of kindness. I think a lot of people don't view correction as a kindness. But if, again, if you think about the broken leg illustration, you'd be crazy to want to rock around with all these physical deformities that people are trying to help you with, but you're refusing to get helped. So yeah, how do you view it? Do you view it as a kindness? Proverbs 27, better is open rebuke than hidden love. But so often, love of ourselves prevents us from correcting others because we're too afraid of how it's going to affect us and how are they going to receive us. And we stop thinking about them and helping them and we're thinking about ourselves. And then we already saw it. It's oil for the head. It's oil for the head. It's richness. I mean, they're coming to honor you with growth in the Lord. Which you could say is parallel to an earthly king being anointed. I mean, when, when Tim Conley was going to rebuke me, imagine if what I would have done was said, wait a minute, Tim, I see you have a thing of oil here you're going to pour on me. Let me roll out this rug right here and I'm going to kneel on the ground right here and you can pour the oil on my head. I mean, you thought I was crazy, but that's what you need to be doing in the heart. They're going to, they're going to help me? They love me enough to put that expensive oil and pour it on my head? That can't be true. No one's ever loved me enough. All the churches I've been in, people don't, they don't correct me. They just kind of let me go on in my own way. They never say anything to me. They don't want to be confrontational. They just want to sing kumbaya. And, you know, all is love or whatever, rather than actually living out biblical principles of love. This is expensive. It cost a person a lot to confront someone. I mean, there are times I have fasted for a period of time before confronting someone. Their hours of prayer has gone into it. And then the person, they just kind of, they don't see it for what it is. They don't see it for the act of love that it is. They're coming to honor you. Listen to this. Proverbs 9, verse 8. Do not reprove a scoffer, or he will hate you. It's sad, right? When you reprove someone and they end up hating you. Listen to this though. Reprove a wise man and he will what? He will love you. You're telling me if I correct people 
in a Christ-like way, it's going to make him love me more? Yeah. Do I love Tim Conway more or less after he rebuked me? I love him more. I love my wife for the different things she has corrected me. And it doesn't make me love her less. Give instruction to a wise man, he will still be wiser. Teach a righteous man, and he will increase in learning. Uh, here an example is from a biography. A young preacher was preaching, and Leonard Ravenhill showed up. <laughs> and look, I realize Leonard Ravenhill could be really harsh, and a lot of his rebukes were not, uh, they were not fit for the season. But this one apparently was because it stuck with this guy his whole life. And the next morning, he walked to Ravenhill's house. And he said, hey, what would you think about my preaching? Whew, you're asking for oil right there. <laughs> or you're wanting to flatter you. The man says this, Ravenhill was brutally honest and responded by saying, you were too funny. You want people to like you too much. You probably spent the afternoon eating and talking with people instead of praying. He was right. I have been feasting at the wrong table and fellowshipping with the wrong person. Though this happened 25 years ago, I remember it like it was today. That conversation taught me more than all of the times of prayer we ever shared together. What did we just read? You reprove a wise man and he will what? Love you. He'll love you more. He'll love you more. Um... I mentioned this to some of you all before, but after Bob Jennings had died, we're at his, uh, the service after his funeral and people were giving testimonies and a 76-year-old man got up and he said, you know, about a month ago, uh, two, uh, oh, six months ago, Bob called me up to rebuke me for something. And the something was how someone in the meeting had called a son and the way he responded to them, he didn't, seen the song, and the way he said it came across harsh publicly. And the guy didn't realize how he came across, and so he didn't apologize on the spot. And so Bob wanted to let him know because he wanted to help him. And you know what this man said this after Bob had died? He said, for a moment I wanted to get upset because it was so small of a thing to be pointed out. But then he said, I realized how much he was concerned for me, even in my old age, to become more like Christ. You see, he knew. He's trying to help me get to a goal. This isn't, David's not praying, oh, tear me down and make me depressed. You know, he's praying, build me up. And Lord, this is a means by which I can be built up and become more like the Lord Jesus Christ. Whitfield to Wesley. He said, I thank you for your kind rebuke. Ever since then, I will beg of God to keep the door of my lips and offend no more with my tongue. I would, not unwilling, will, I would not willingly have one more unprofitable word proceed out of my mouth. I'm often with the persons that commend me, and I take it as a cross. I love you more for rebuking me. You see? You see, we've got to think right. right? You've got to think right. When, someone, when you're seeking to correct someone, when they're seeking to correct you, you've got to think about it in a biblical way, or else you're not going to receive it for what it is. Okay, seventh thing. Who's ultimately doing the rebuking? Look at the text. David is praying, meaning praying to the Lord to let. You notice the word let there? Let, let, let. Let a righteous man. So he, uh, the word let could also be rendered what? Allow. 
Right? So David is praying for who to allow a person to come and rebuke him? The Lord. So who ultimately is doing the rebuking? You want to remember this, brethren. When, when someone sees something in your life, God's allowed them to see it. And they're just trying to be good stewards of the knowledge God has given them. So when they come to you, it's not just them. If they're a righteous man seeking to correct you, it's God's actually burdened them and shown them something. And they're the messenger to point that out according to the Scriptures and to help you. And so that should also make you realize, brethren, if God shows you something in someone else's life and you feel some sense you need to bring it up with them, that's something God has brought about. You want to be good stewards of what the Lord allows you to see. You say it hurts. Look, pruning hurts. But what's the purpose of pruning in John 15? Yeah, bear more fruit. And what's one of the fruits, ironically, in John 15 that he's talking about being born? Answered prayer. So David's praying, let a righteous man rebuke me. And when that happens and something changes in his life, it might all the more help him bear fruit in prayer and see more answered prayer. Here an eighth thing is. We see the great danger we have. What is the danger? Right there in verse 5. What does he say? Lord, let my head not refuse the rebuke. Why do you guys refuse rebukes? Pride? What else? Rebellion? Yeah, you don't think it's valid? Fear? Yeah, I mean, wow, what if your rebuke is right? That's kind of a fearful thing. Something in my life might need to change. My perspective might not be correct. What else keeps you from receiving a rebuke? I mean, it's all kind of rooted in pride. Shame? Yeah, oh man, that, you know, I would have received it if the messenger was more gentle. Look, do I want to correct people in a Christ like way? I do. Now, there's a, there's a way to gently confront someone, but there's also the Titus, what is it, Titus 1? No, Titus 2.13, or not Titus 2.13, but um, um, rebuke them sharply that they might be sound in the faith. I mean, there's a time, that's really doctrinally, right? You're believing baptism regenerates you and saves you? That's a sharp rebuke that's needed for that individual. Yeah, why do we not receive it? You know what? This is the truth, brethren. All of us think we'd never refuse the rebuke that we've yet to receive. I'm not going to, I'm not, James, why are you talking to me? I don't refuse rebukes. Yeah, because you're thinking, you're probably thinking about getting rebuked for something you're not going to get rebuked for. And you're just imagining they're going to come in a specific way and they're actually going to come in a different way. <laughs> it's going to happen. I mean, you know what? It's probably, they're probably going to rebuke me when I have no other trials going on in my life. And you know what usually happens? This has already happened. This has happened at work. And you know what? You get to prayer meeting that night and lo and behold, they've been praying for a week and they're just decided to bring you aside after prayer meeting. They don't know you only had two hours of sleep the night before. They don't know your boss just threatened you at work. And then they decide to correct you right then. And you say, bad timing. Look, if there's something valid, you don't want to minimize it. You don't want to excuse it away. You don't want to say, well, you didn't come across right. I mean, if you guys would have come across differently, then I would have received it. Well, right there, they're admitting that you're right. They're just they're trying to excuse themselves. Uh, what are ways we refuse rebukes? Not being approachable. 
uh, not being accountable to believers in a local church. You just keep your life too private. You don't allow people to be involved in your life. Yeah, no one's going to rebuke you if they don't know what's really true of you and in your life. You minimize it. You tell them, oh, you don't understand. You don't know what I've gone through. You don't, you don't see things clearly. What does Jesus say in Matthew 7? Who's the one who doesn't see clearly? It's you if you've got the speck in your eye. Right? I mean, imagine a person would take two of those cedars or whatever tree they are and stick them right in my eyes tonight, and I'm trying to tell you you don't see clearly enough to correct me. You'd think, they, you'd think I'm crazy. Um, so you, you guys probably don't like this friend, right? I mean, this is a... <laughs> no, this is all for our good. And we've already seen it. Christ Himself rebuked the 72 over something so subtle that was so hard to pick up on, yet He picked up on it. I mean, what are other times Jesus rebuked His disciples? Yeah, they're wanting to be too radical, bring fire down from heaven. They're arguing about who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom, who's going to sit on the right hand and the left hand. Peter, get behind me, Satan. I mean, imagine Christ telling you, get behind me, Satan. You're setting your mind on things of the earth and not on things of above. Incredible. What you don't want is someone to rebuke you in love and you go away and build up resentment and bitterness in your heart towards that individual when they were actually seeking to love you. That's, that's going to destroy you. That's going to, you're going to go to bed with anger in your heart and you're going to give an opportunity for the devil as we looked at last night. Listen to this. This is an amazing verse. Proverbs 10.17 Whoever heeds instruction is on the path to life, but he who rejects reproof... Listen leads others astray. What? You know what? Let, let's say, for example, um, well, let's say you guys correct me for something. My children become aware of it, and I'm refusing that correction. There's no change. What am I, and my children know about, what are my children seeing in their father's response? They're, they're, they're going to be led astray because they're going to think I'm doing the right thing by rejecting the rebuke when I'm actually doing the wrong thing. right? I'm going to lead them astray. I mean, you be proud, you can lead others astray. This isn't just your own head on the chopping block. Um, so brethren, we want to take heed lest we fall. right? We want to watch out for snares. We want to watch out for these delicacies. And I think I already referred to it, but remember King David? In his pride, wanting to do the census and number the men, did, who tried to rebuke David or tried to get him to not do the census? Joab. What was his response to Joab? He told him, Joab said, why should it be a cause of guilt for Israel? And then jo David said, it, says, it just says this, the king's word prevailed against Joab. It wasn't a good thing that his authority and his power prevailed. Right? You might have the authority in some sphere of influence like your family and you reject a rebuke and your authority prevails and you say, yeah, we're going to do the census. I don't care what these people are saying. That's how David handled that and there were great consequences. Thousands upon thousands of people died. Uh, I mentioned last night, this dear pastor friend of mine, his wife, just a few months ago took all six children and left. 
We had a seven-hour meeting with them. We were trying to say things. The moment we started to correct her, she didn't want to... She just turned it around. You guys don't know how to counsel. You don't see everything. You don't understand everything. Well, there's one little detail. If you knew this detail, you'd see everything right. Okay, what's the detail? Uh, tell us the detail. No response. Okay, we've got to meet again. Do you think she wanted to meet with us again? No? Nope. Well, okay, finally she got forced into a Zoom call. Okay, we're in the Zoom meeting. We're getting to the point where we're realizing we've got one opportunity here to try pour, to pour oil on her head. And what happens when we start to pour oil on her head? She hits the leave button. I'm out of here. Left the meeting. Right? You know what you feel for someone who does that? Pity. You're trying to help them. And they don't want to be helped. You guys know about Uzziah? What do you know about King Uzziah? Maybe you think of Isaiah 6, right? In the year that Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon the throne. You know what happened to King Uzziah? It says that he was marvelously helped by the Lord. And then it says he grew famous. And then what happened with his fame? He grew proud. Brother, it's shocking what happens right there in 2 Chronicles 26. Uzziah, this king, marvelously helped by God, he gets the bright idea to go offer incense when that's not his position. He's not supposed to do it. And he goes in there to offer incense. How many people come to rebuke him? At least a couple. 81 Ooh. men of valor. I mean, let's just duplicate this room, whatever, times two, times three, and all of you stand up at the same time and you're all rebuking me. What, how, do you think I, how do you think I'm going to respond? Am I going to go out the door? Or am I going to get on the ground and let the oil just fall on me? You know what Uzziah did? What do you do in your pride? He grew famous. He got proud. 81 men of valor. Listen to this. It says, Then Uzziah was angry. Angry. He got angry at him. You know, what he's saying? you know what he's saying when he got angry? He's basically saying this. Don't you know who I am? Who do you think you are to come and rebuke me? All 81 of you. Don't you know who I am? Well, what happened right there? You know what the next thing that happened was? Now, God struck the man with leprosy. And he was an excluded leper the rest of the days of his life. You reject the rebuke of those sent by God to you, you will not hide from the Father's discipline in heaven. He will come after you if you are His child. And He will strike you like the shepherd with the rod to get you to get back on the path and he's doing it for the exact same motivation that those 81 men were doing. It was out of love. It was out of concern for their welfare. And brethren, many Christians and churches start out humbly relying on the Lord and they grow and their fame spreads and crime, pride creeps in and they just become some arrogant group of Christians. I mean, this whole celebrity preacher culture who knows all the damage that's going to happen from of it by the time the ship sinks. Think of another king from the Old Testament, Asa. 
And we see Asa saying, Lord, there's none like you to help. We rely on you. And they conquer basically an army of a million people. Incredible victory. Right? He reforms the land. He even says, whoever would not seek the Lord, the God of Israel, should be put to death. (laughs) I don't know about that law, but he says that, right? For that nation. Listen to this. In the 36th year of reigning, not the sixth year, just like Uzziah, the 36th year of reigning, he made a treaty he should not have. And we see Hanani, the prophet, come to reprove him. And you know how Asa responded? The text says this, Asa was angry with the seer. Wow. You've got to be kidding, James. These two kings who did so much good. These two pastors who did so much good for 36 years. For all these years. You're kidding me. They get to the very end. They're near the end. And then in their pride, they don't receive correction, and it's their undoing. Brethren, I have seen that even in the last year with my own eyes. And it is heartbreaking to witness these things. Listen to this, this one brother trying to rebuke a pastor who was so, so been used of God. He said this to this pastor. He said, I can't help but see now that my love and appreciation for you rendered me incapable of saying things to you that should have been said long ago. We would bring a concern to you only to be met with arguing, minimization, blame shifting, and slander. That the problems people had with you weren't even a big thing. The fact is now the big thing is how you responded to those people. How can this be the same person who emphasized the need for humility? How can this be the same person who emphasized the need for receiving counsel from others? How can be this the same person who was so tender and gentle to me personally when it came to my own struggles? That's a young guy riding an older man who's doing exactly what Uzziah did. Brethren, this to me, you know what? Who, who, what category am I in right now? The old guy, young guys or the old guys? Young guys. Right? And honestly, most of you, that's where you at. That's where y'all's pastors are at right now. They're in the young guy category. You know what this does? This should put fear in us. What will I become when I am old? You want to be someone who receives correction. And you know, you know what? David is praying this. You, pray it. Actually, ask the Lord. You take initiative and ask the Lord to do this great thing in your life. So, in conclusion... I'd maybe ask you this. What righteous rebukes have you refused? And maybe you're still presently refusing those rebukes. Maybe it's a long time ago. Maybe God really gave someone discernment to see something in your life and they said it and you heard it, but you never applied what they said. Right? It's not you gotta live out what people point out. If you, if you keep refusing, you're only going to prevent yourself from bearing more fruit. I'll ask you this question. What kindness are you withholding from someone by not correcting them? Because as it says, it's a kindness. And you say, I want to be kind to people. Isn't it interesting? The category of being kind to people can fall into going and correcting them. That's an act of kindness towards them. Who would have thought that? The Bible thinks that. The Bible teaches that. The Bible's our standard. 
Yes, it, let all that be done be done in love. I mean, ask yourself, if you're going to rebuke someone, are you going to them because you want to be kind to them? Just ask yourself that. Anytime you're going to correct someone, is it about some vendetta? Is it about resentment? Is it about just frustration in the moment? Or is there something where you're actually wanting to be kind to them in what you're going to communicate to them? Um, now, do we need a hypercritical, judgmental church where everyone's just going around rebuking each other 50 times a week? No, you guys don't need that. Right? This isn't what David is speaking about here. This is not what I'm trying to emphasize. But brethren, you don't want to get to the end and be the fool who says in Proverbs 5, Oh, how I hated discipline. And my heart despised reproof. I didn't listen to the voice of my teachers. I didn't incline my ear to my instructors. I am now at the brink of utter ruin. You don't want to be like that. You don't want to end up like that. Here, another closing thought. One solution to get quicker growth and get the kindness from people that they might be withholding from you is to actually go up and ask them. You actually go to them and say, hey, brother, is there anything you see in my life that you can correct me on? But you be ready. Listen to Richard Gans. Imagine what it would be like if everyone you knew and cared for told you something about yourself of which you were not aware. And think about it. You guys know each other as a body. And I'm not, I'm not saying to do this, but let's hypothetically imagine if everyone like wrote down something about where you need to grow. Right? You had a survey like that. I mean, Gans is just imagining that. He said there would be numerous areas for growth and change. And he says, do it. <laughs> It could lead to trouble, but it could lead to... I haven't thought this through a lot, but... Ask the question, then listen to the answer. Certainly there will be some pain in the self-discovery, but nothing close to the pain of being a stunted Christian. The payoff is tremendous. A life more closely conformed to Christ. The best person to help others become like Christ is the person who himself is becoming more and more like Christ. Jesus Christ. So yeah, I, you know, I, I haven't done it perfectly, but I try when people stay at my home or I get time with people, I try to ask them about if there's anything they can point out to help me to grow. Because I want to grow. I mean, think about sports players. When these sports players are working out, they're often getting monitored. They've got stuff on their body. They've got people over there telling them, hey, your posture's not right there. You need to do this. You need to do that. I mean, if they're going to do that to run a faster mile, shouldn't we do that to all the more be holy and be like the Lord Jesus Christ? Um, before you all rebuke me for going too long, Remember, this is a prayer. Let's take this right back to again. Where is your secret prayer life at? How do you pray? Do you even dare to pray things like this? Do you look at the Psalms and you see how David prays and you imitate it? Or do you kind of stand far off? Like, wow, that's, that's scary stuff. Kind of like the verse we looked at the other night. For a moment, search me, O God, and try my heart. I realize these last two messages, there's a lot of introspection. But again, the Bible teaches these things. We don't want to be scared of them. Um, so yeah, where's your prayer life? And then I'd ask this. 
how, how often do you read the Word of God? What, what is your Bible reading like? What are you eating from the Word? Why is it so important to be in the Word? The Word contains the mind of God and it's going to allow you to see things. The Word's going to rebuke you and change you. But then when someone comes to correct you, if your mind is already so saturated with Scripture, it's going to be easier to see, oh yeah, what they're saying is entirely right. I just read that three weeks ago in my morning reading. And li listen to this. What were, what were the kings required to do when they would sit on the throne of His kingdom? Write a copy. Not read it. Yeah, read it. Write a copy. Listen to this. Deuteronomy 17. And when he sits on the throne of his kingdom, he shall write for himself in a book a copy of this law approved by the Levitical priest. And it shall be with him, and he shall read it all the days of his life. Okay, why? Why do this? That he may learn to fear the Lord his God by keeping all the words of this law and these statues and doing them. Listen to this that his heart might not be lifted up above his brothers. You see, you're in the Word of God, it's humbling you. You're seeing what Christ has done. You're seeing your own weakness, it's humbling you. And the more humility you have, the more you're walking near to Christ, the more it's going to be able, you're going to be easier to receive the rebukes that someone is trying to bring to you and what they're trying to point out in your life. That his heart might not be lifted up among his brothers, and that he may not turn aside from the commandment either to the right or to the left, so that he may continue long in his kingdom, he and his children in Israel. All right, that's all I have. Let a righteous man strike me, it's a kindness. Let him rebuke me. It is oil. I'm thinking it's oil for my head. Lord, let my head not refuse it. Think of all the oil people have tried to pour on you that you didn't fully benefit from because you moved out of the way and it fell on the ground and was wasted. Think of all the people you would love more if you would have received their rebuke. But by refusing it, now your relationship is strained. Could be, I mean, think, that happens to your family members, right? You get converted, you're trying to share truth with your lost family, they don't want to hear it, right? If they hear it, it all the more gives you a love. All right, let's pray.